As already uh, has been mentioned, uh, today is the last day of 2023. I can't believe where the year's gone. Uh, for some of us, we'll wake up tomorrow, it'll be the first day of the new year. For some of us, we'll be able to stay up late uh, and we'll see the new year in. As we move forward into 2024, what's 2023 been like for you? Uh, for some, it might have been a year of games. Uh, maybe you had shares in something called Caravana Co. Apparently, that's the uh, highest or, or the biggest gaining share this year. 500% it's gone up. Uh, maybe you finally finished studying, whether it's a high school, a uni degree, or a PhD. Maybe you learned a new hobby or finally finished that DIY project that's been sitting around the house for ages. Maybe you started a new relationship, got engaged, got married. Maybe you had your first child or your first grandchild. So for some, 2023 has been a year of, of gains. It's been a good year. But for others, 2023 might have been a really tough year. Maybe you got retrenched uh, from your job. Maybe you're struggling with uh, interest rate hikes and business isn't as good. Maybe you lost a loved one or ended a relationship. Maybe you've struggled with your health. For some of us, 2023 has been a real battle, maybe the toughest year yet. Whatever your year has been like, how do we move forward from a year like 2023? How do we deal with the highs and lows of life that we of the world that we live in in this world? How can we safeguard our future and ensure that we finish the race so that we can spend eternity with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Well, I hope that uh, when we look at Deuteronomy 34, we can help to answer these questions because it reveals to us what God's character is like. It encourages us through the example of Moses and it reminds us that we can be just like the Israelites were back then in the way we treat God, in the way that we follow him. And so we have to be careful that we persevere and keep trusting God. Uh, just to give us a bit of context about Deuteronomy, it's the fifth book of our Bible. Um, and the first five books of the Bible are known as the Torah in Hebrew, uh, starting with Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. So Deuteronomy is the fifth book of the Torah, it's the last book of the Torah, and it's the last book of this section before Joshua starts another section. And chapter 34 is the last chapter of Deuteronomy, so it's the last chapter of the Torah. Maybe think of it as uh, like a cliffhanger of the first movie of a trilogy. It sets up for the next installment. Because it naturally sits at an important juncture uh, in the story of the Bible as a whole. It comes at a key moment in the history of Israel, God's people, uh, and the life of their leader, Moses. Uh, Content-wise, Deuteronomy is basically Moses giving the Israelites a good talking to, and he's given them uh, three sermons in a row. Can you imagine that, sitting through three sermons on a Sunday morning? But don't worry, I've only got one for you today. Uh, but this crucial speech was Moses's, uh, the, the purpose of this speech was to renew the covenant uh, between Yahweh and Israel. He wanted to remind God's people of who Yahweh was and what was expected of them. Yahweh had originally made a covenant with his people, and the covenant is like a contract and an agreement. This was originally made at Mount Sinai when God brought his people out of 
the land of Egypt. And the agreement was that he was to be their God and look after them, and they'd be his people and serve him back. But when the Israelites broke that covenant, God made them wander around the desert for 40 years until a whole generation of Israelites died out. Because when God brought them out to the land that he promised to give them, they hadn't trusted him. And now the time had finally come again when they were about to enter this land and the people were on the cusp of the promised land. The last uh, bit of background is geographically, uh, we find people on the edge of the land called Canaan. And there's a mountain that overlooks it, Mount Nebo, and that's where we find Moses at the beginning of our reading. And so Deuteronomy, as the book of Deuteronomy, would have served as a reminder to a new generation of Israelites of what was expected of them as they stepped into this promised land. Where they were Yahweh's special chosen people, so they were expected to live like that. Uh, So here we are in verse 1, Moses climbing Mount Nebo. Now if Mount Nebo sounds familiar, uh, it might be because there's several around the world. Uh, One near Brisbane, to mention one, and one near Wollongong. But the one we're talking about is in modern day Jordan. Hopefully I picked the right one from Google, I, I couldn't really tell. And I'm pretty sure that that road uh, wasn't there back in Moses' day. But we're told that uh, Moses, uh, that God showed Moses the whole land from Mount Nebo. And by showing Moses the land, he's, he's basically giving or handing over possession of the land to Moses. You know, this should be a triumphant moment, shouldn't it? But it's bittersweet. Sweet, because Moses gets to see the land and he can feel satisfied that he's led God's people back to it. And he can know that God's going to give them this land. But it's bitter, because Moses would have loved to set foot in the land himself, to cross over into it and lead his people into the land. We know this because in Deuteronomy 3, Moses tells the Israelites that he pleaded with God to let them go into the promised land. But God had already decided that another person, Joshua, would lead the Israelites into the land. And why? Why was that? What was Moses' crime? Well, in a rash decision, Moses didn't follow God's commands exactly as he should in Numbers 20. He struck the rock when God was providing his people with water, and he wasn't meant to do that. And this happened at a place called Meribah Kadesh. And because of that, Moses was told he wouldn't bring his people into the land he was going to give them, God was going to give them. So the first thing to note is that Moses knew he was only going to see the promised land. He was never going to cross into it. But what's even more incredible is that secondly, Moses went up the mountain. He went up Mount Nebo because, and and he already knew that he was going to die up there. Because a couple of chapters earlier in Deuteronomy 32, God says to Moses, go up into the Abarim range to the Mount Nebo in Moab, across from Jericho and view Canaan, the land I'm going to give the Israelites as their own possession. There on that mountain that you've climbed, you will die and be gathered to your people. 
So Moses knew before he even started his journey up Mount Nebo that he was essentially going to his death. I can only imagine the thoughts going through Moses' head uh, as he scaled that mountain. You know, maybe some excitement that his people were finally going to enter into that land. Contentment that he'd done his job. Hope for the future of his people. Or maybe regret for disobeying God that one time at Meribah Kadesh. Fear of missing out, FOMO. Sadness at leaving his people. Maybe even anger at himself or at God. But once atop the mountain, before Moses Moses dies, Yahweh reassures Moses that he's going to keep his promise that he made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Then the last thing that Yahweh says to Moses is, I've let you see it with your eyes, but you won't cross over into it. Now, a cynic might say that God's just rubbing salt into Moses' wounds, but I don't think so. Maybe it's God's way of just saying, it's over, Moses. You can go in peace. Or perhaps it's showing that things just happen as God says they will. But in any case, Moses dies then and there on Mount Nebo, and it's a bittersweet ending to Moses' life. A couple more interesting details, though, follow Moses' death. Firstly, we read that Moses was buried in Moab, but no one knows where his grave's at. For someone who played such a massive part in bringing the Israelites out of Egypt and leading them to the cusp of the Promised Land, this seems pretty unfitting, doesn't it? Because as verse 10 to 12 point out, Moses was an unequaled prophet who knew Yahweh face-to-face and showed God's mighty power and awesome deeds in the sight of all Israel. Considering that compliment, that was a pretty uninspiring end to his life, don't you think? Moses was buried somewhere in an unmarked grave and left outside of the promised land. Just doesn't seem like a worthy ending to the only prophet who ever knew Yahweh face to face. The second thing to note is that Moses was 120 years old when he died, yet his eyes were not weak, nor his strength gone. Uh, One way of looking at this is that God had kept him fit and capable until he died. And 120 years of living is nothing to scoff at, is it? God had given him a long and full life. But in some sense, Moses' death was premature. He could see well, he was strong, and he could climb a mountain at 120. I've been needing to wear reading glasses for the last five years, so that dream's already over for me. What's more is the Hebrew word for strength could be rendered as vigor, which could refer to his ability to still father children at 120. In other words, he was at full health, and yet he dies here as God had ordained. Moses died without much fanfare, and he died when God decided it was time. So Israel here loses their experienced long-time leader. They grieve, they weep, they mourn for the loss of Moses for 30 days. But Joshua had already been appointed as Moses' successor, and we're told that the Israelites listened to Joshua. So they were off to a promising start. In the midst of this rather somber chapter, there's hope 
hope for the Israelites under their new leader. They've just renewed their commitment to Yahweh and they're buoyed by the prospect of finally entering the promised land and they've got a fresh start. From the end of an era comes a new beginning. From the unspectacular death of the greatest prophet Israel had ever known comes the prospect of land, life and blessing. And that's where it ends. Anticipating the next chapter of Israel's story. So as we start a new year, looking back at the year just past and forward to the year ahead, how are we encouraged and challenged by Deuteronomy 34? Well, firstly, hopefully we've seen that God is a God who keeps his promises and does what he says he'll do. He can be trusted and relied upon to make his plans happen. Even when we do our best to mess things up and disobey him, God still uses us and accepts us as long as we turn back to him and ask for his forgiveness. It may not end the way that we want or expect, but God always has a plan for us. And Deuteronomy 34 can tell us a lot about who God is. Uh, Yes, the chapter is about Moses' death, but behind everything that happens is Yahweh, God. It's actually the Lord God behind everything described in Deuteronomy 34. God's plan and purpose and promises are happening as they're supposed to. God was over and behind and around everything. So God's faithful to his plans and promises and makes them happen. In other words, God's sovereign. And he's also holy. God took Moses' disobedience seriously. In Numbers 27, God said Moses disobeyed his command to honor him as holy before the eyes of the Israelites. For all his faithfulness, Moses was prohibited to enter into the land because of that one incident. God treats sin seriously, and there are consequences. And he expects his people to be holy just as he is holy. And while we might think that God's treatment of Moses was a bit harsh, it could have been worse. Moses lived until he was 120. He was still healthy and strong, and he got to see the promised land with his own eyes and be assured that his people were going to enter into it. In the end, God still showed Moses grace during his lifetime. Sin has serious consequences, but God gives grace despite our failings, despite our stuff-ups, despite us ignoring him time and time again. So God's holy and he's also gracious. Sovereign, holy, gracious, that's what our God is like. And of course, where the seriousness of sin meets the enormity of God's grace, is most clearly seen at the cross of Jesus. Jesus had to be born 2,000 years ago in a manger in Bethlehem to become the Savior, Lord, and Messiah that would die to take away the sins of the world. The seriousness of sin dealt with because of God's grace and his great promise to save us. God takes sin seriously and there are always consequences, but there's always abundant grace. So a reminder that God's trustworthy, he's sovereign, he's holy, he's gracious. That's who we can put our faith in, in good times and in bad. 
And even though a bunch of things went wrong for Moses and God's people, in the end, God still achieved his plans. So when we go through stuff in life, whether we think it's good or bad, God's using it all to mold us and to shape us and to achieve his purposes and to make us into the person he wants us to be. Uh, Every year, as Jonah mentioned earlier, people make New Year's resolutions. They usually involve something to do with health uh, or travel or money, like eating healthier and exercising more, traveling to new and exciting places, spending less and saving more. We often take a a chance, a change of circumstance as a chance to make a change and make new commitments. Whether it's a new year, a new gym membership, or a new job, it's a chance to fix old mistakes, renew commitments, stop bad habits, and make new good ones. Like the Israelites, we have the opportunity to start the new year well. So whether 2023 has been a year of gains for you or a year of losses, how will you reflect on the things that have happened? How can we give thanks for the ups and downs of 2023? And how will these things change you as you approach this coming year? What have been God's mercies and graces in rough times? In what ways have we been refined and sanctified through the things that have happened? How has God blessed you and shown his face to you? And if we seriously consider these things, I hope we'll be encouraged to renew our commitment to follow God moving forward. That was a question posed to the Israelites by Moses as they entered the Promised Land at this pivotal moment in history. And it's what's posed to us today. Will we go from this point forward trusting in a God who's shown to be trustworthy? Will we serve him with all our heart and mind and soul for the rest of our days? Hopefully the answer is yes. And hopefully we know that when we stumble, God will still lavish his grace upon us because Jesus gives us a fresh start. Deuteronomy 34 encourages us that we can trust God. Yahweh who's shown time and time again that he's got everything under control. God has a plan and he's working it out for us in our lives. And when things get sketchy, we can rely on God. We can go to his word. We can be reminded of his faithfulness and his power. We can pray to him and cast our anxieties on him. We might also stuff up. We might have our own striking the rock moment. And we might have to bear the consequences of our sin. But remember, there's always abundant grace and restoration through repentance and faith in Jesus. So will we stick it out? Will we commit to follow and trust and obey God the rest of our lives? With God's help, we will. Things won't always turn out as we plan. These past few years have shown that. But no matter what happens in life, remember, God has it under control. He's using everything, even our stuff-ups, for our good and and his glory. So commit to following him as we move forward in faith into eternity. Let's pray.